0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Yes. <laughs> My voice feels a little weak today. Can you hear me okay in the back? Okay. If it starts to get a little weak, you can go in the back, okay? Give me the high sign there. I came across a quote this week as I was preparing um, for the homily. And it's by a man named Father Alexander Elkaninov. And I had never heard of him before, and so I researched him a little bit to find out. And I didn't find out much about his life at first, but I kept coming across quotes that people were posting on their blogs or whatever it was. And uh, they were just gems. And I, this, this quote that I first found, I want to share with you today because I found it at once both encouraging and challenging. And challenging. By the way, he's a very modern uh, priest, um, not canonized. He reposed in 1934. Constantly, each day, each hour, God is sending us people, circumstances, and tasks, which should mark the beginning of our renewal. Yet we pay them no attention, and thus continually we resist God's will for us. Indeed, how can God help us? Only by sending us in our daily lives certain people and certain circumstances. And if we accepted every hour of our life as the hour of God's will for us, as the decisive, most important, and unique hour of our life, what sources of joy, love, strength as yet hidden from us would spring from the depths of our soul. Now we have a beautiful gospel today, and I hope to connect this quote to today's gospel, and and perhaps some of you have already seen a a connection there. But I was also moved, and uh, I desired to share with you an idea that was immensely helpful to me in my spiritual life. And forgive me, the men who were at the men's breakfast yesterday morning heard a good portion of this content, and you'll perhaps get to hear it again. So um, you have heard me read or quote from this book by Archimandrite Zacharias of Essex, um, Remember Thy First Love. And the subtitle is, The Three Stages of the Spiritual Life in the Theology of Elder Sophrony." Who is now Saint Sophroni. So, Saint Sophroni, while recognizing that every single person's life is unique, every single person's path to God, their journey through life, is their own, and it's different from every other person. Yet, in Saint Sophroni's experience, he found that each person, in their own way, would pass through three stages of the spiritual life. And now we've heard of the f- three stages that are written the- in theological books, um, illumination, sanctification, and deification, or theosis. And this is not quite the same thing. He's actually talking about different seasons of our life. And the first stage, which he didn't give a, really a name, but sort of called it the first grace. This is our first experience of grace. This is what happens to us at our baptism or at our conversion or perhaps we get a revisiting of this at our ordination if we are ordained or in other experiences but the first grace it is my hope that some of you can remember. During that time in the beginning you were energized. You were Filled, you were motivated, and everything seemed a lot easier. And St. would say, in one way or another, we have all tasted of this gift of grace, only to lose it later. In the words of Archimander Zacharias, the first stage is truly wonderful and inspiring. For its grace is the purest gift, granted unreasonably to whoever shows the slightest humble disposition. However, God's gift does not yet belong to man, and it can be likened to an unjust possession. Father Sophroni says that the first grace is a pure gift, like an investment of spiritual capital for which we have not labored and have therefore do not deserve. Nevertheless, he says, if we show faithfulness to this spiritual capital, this talent, and are faithful in that which is God's, and this will be our second stage, then he will entrust it to us as if it were our own possession. And if we honor and value this gift, God will eventually Make it our inalienable possession for all eternal for all eternity. God will give us that which is our own. And that comes in the third stage. Now, the first stage, as I said, doesn't last. And I think sometimes we expect it to, especially for those of you who are somewhat near the beginning of your journey and somewhat near the memory of that first grace, the intensity of that coming to Christ and him revealing himself to you and you having the confidence that you were on the right path. But for all of us, for most of us, or maybe all of us, we've passed through this first stage and that first grace has been withdrawn and we enter into the second stage. And this, St. Sophroni calls the withdrawal of the first grace. And we notice, and we think something's wrong with us, that it gets harder. It's hard to motivate ourselves to do all those things to live the Christian life. It's harder to pray. It's harder to get up and go to church. It wasn't like that in the beginning. It's harder. And we start to wonder, what's going on? What's wrong with me? But this is God's plan for our life. God withdraws that first grace from us. Now, why does he do that? Is it a punishment? No. If we remember on Mount Tabor, where Christ is transfigured, his disciples experience his uncreated light. They experienced seeing him in all of his glory as much as they could bear, the hymn says. They didn't get to stay on the mountain. They didn't get to stay in that illuminated state of grace, but they had to come back down into the valley, and they had to do the work that they were called to do. Or St. Silouan said, when he had his first experience of grace, At the beginning of his novitiate, it was very powerful. And he actually had a vision, which we, most of us, do not. A vision of Christ. And the intensity of that moment and the revelation, he could never articulate through his whole life. But he said that if I would have stayed there another moment, I would have perished. Because the grace of God is so overwhelming. And we see this in the story of Moses, where he speaks to God face to face. And he is illuminated and he comes down from the mountain. And what happens to the glow and the energy of that encounter? It fades. And he is now back in the valley trying to serve the Israelites. There's a great temptation that Father Seraphim Rose says is a universal temptation for all of us. Live for the present, enjoy yourselves, Relax and be comfortable. Doesn't that sound nice? Now, worldly speaking, these seem like fairly good goals. And this is, now in our modern world, sort of our orientation. This is what our goal and our hope is. But this kind of thinking leaks into and pollutes our spiritual lives. And we think that somehow we can just enjoy ourselves, relax, be comfortable. Shouldn't this spiritual thing be getting easier? So the first stage is when God pursues us. And the second stage is when we must pursue God. Now, God never stops pursuing us. But during that second stage, having experienced that withdrawal of grace, it is our job, remembering that first grace, to pursue him. In the first stage, he proves his love for us. In the second stage, it's our chance to prove that we love God and that we belong to him. He wants us to struggle. And this is what the church calls our repentance. But the temptation during this time is for us to enter into despair. Saint Sophroni said, "If I can find the right page." that he always wanted to emphasize the second. He saw a great need for a correct understanding of this second stage, and understanding in a right frame of mind. He wanted to inspire us and f- find ways of turning this second stage into a genuine spiritual event into an awareness that the withdrawal of grace is a gift to us. And he wants to deliver us from the temptation to despondency. Now it is in this second stage where we mount the ladder of divine ascent, where we begin our repentance and we journey to Christ. But it's also here that there's danger of falling away. There's a danger that we will forget our first love, forget that first grace, and that we will say it didn't happen or say it wasn't real, and we give ourselves excuses to fall away from God. Now, when I say God withdraws his grace, he does not abandon us, and he still visits us with grace all the time. In the sacraments, especially baptism and communion and the liturgy he visits us with his grace each time to the degree that we are prepared some of you had the great blessing to participate in a baptism yesterday and if you are ever able to participate or even be present for a baptism you can feel the grace of God because that baby is experiencing the beginning of that first grace and some of that spills over onto us God's grace is present with us when we pray when we pray from the heart. God's grace is still present with us when we say his name. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. And the grace is present for us when we serve and when we serve self-sacrificially. It is the second stage where we endeavor to align our will with God's will. God doesn't stop working in our lives. But we need to work, so to speak, to align our values and our will with his. And this is a self-emptying experience. Now I probably should say something about the third stage. Although I've heard it said that one should never speak about something one doesn't know. That would disqualify me for most of the things I say, I think. Um, <clears throat> but especially this. The third stage of grace, he says, is generally short in that it is entered into towards the end of one's life. But compared to the first stage, it is richer in the depths of its blessing. It is characterized by love and stability and the deep peace that is a result of freedom From the passions. It is our permanent acquisition of God's grace. This is our goal. And this is what we might call deification. And this is the experience of our ascetic saints and our fathers, who have passed the test of time. So, here we are, we all are, together, in the middle stage. It's a common experience, and yet we think it's not. We think this waning of our love and our our experience of God, is something's wrong with us. We need to do something to fix ourselves. And truly, there are things we can do. But we're all in this together. And it is my hope that you will take comfort in the fact that this is where we are meant to be. This is the preferred stage that God has given us as a gift. This is where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, so what do we do? What characterizes a life in the middle, in this middle stage? How do we live? What do we do? Well, the gospel tells us. It asks that same exact question. At that time a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test and he asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How shall I live? What shall I do? And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? How do you read? Now obviously this lawyer had heard Christ say this before because Christ said these very words. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. Great. How do I do that? How do I love God with all my heart, with all my strength? Well, embedded in that, how do we do that? It's also answered today in the gospel. We love one another our only real way to love God is to express that love to one another. Because God truly is in the other, the other person. And when we love the other, then we are loving God. And this is really our only only way. He says, how can we love God who we have not seen if we cannot love our brother who we have seen? Our commander, uh, Zacharias, says that this is our magnificent struggle to make our neighbor the very content of our heart. So how do we do this? Well, we take a lesson from the Samaritan. Now, as we read this gospel, have any of you ever seen the gospel or the icon of this, of this uh, parable? It shows Christ as the Samaritan putting the injured man with his bound wounds on his own beast and leading him off to the the hotel. So in this, we are given a template for what we are supposed to do. And in the icon, it reminds us that the Samaritan is Christ. First, He came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. He loved him. And he went and bound up his wounds. There are no chance meetings, Father Alexander says. Either God sends us the person we need, or we are sent to someone unbeknownst to us. He had compassion on him. He loved him. And to love him mean that the Samaritan desired for that injured person what he would desire for himself he didn't know his religion his creed his politics his philosophies he saw a person in need and that was enough to demand that he help him he took care of him he bound up his wounds he met his needs He put him on his own beast. That means he lifted him up. He made him higher than himself. And this is what true brotherly love is, is we lift up our brother and we are convinced that they are more important than we are. For us to love one another, for us to love our brother, we have to seek people out. It's going to cost us going to cost us time. It might cost us money, like it cost the a Samaritan. It's definitely going to cost our attention, our attentiveness. Love is a self-emptying act. And in this, we imitate Christ. So how can we show God that we love him? By imitating him. And we imitate him by thinking about this parable. About how we Father Alexander has another gem of a quote. He says, Let us then be serious in our attitude towards each person we meet, in our life towards every opportunity of performing a good deed. Be sure that you will then fulfill God's will for your life in these very circumstances, on that very day, in that very hour. And if I could... If we accepted every hour of our life as the hour of God's will for us, the decisive, most important, unique hour of our life, what sources of joy, love, and strength, yet hidden from us, would spring from the depths of our soul. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all in this together. And our call in this middle time in this second stage of our lives, where we only remember and are motivated by that first grace, but we don't feel it all the time. Though God's grace visits us, we have a great opportunity in one another to learn to love one another and to encourage one another. And so this is how we spend our lives, loving one another, imitating Christ, that we might again begin to experience the grace that is being poured out to us in small measures now, day by day by day, as we respond moment by moment to what Christ is doing in us. Amen.